Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And back on the College Football Survivor Show, and it's SEC time. We did a Big 12 playoff preview on our last episode, Shahan. Now we're doing the SEC, and we'll dive right in. We have categories. We say how many playoff contenders are there, who are spoilers, teams down the road, most important games, all these kind of things. But let's start off the top. It is a playoff show, as we remind ourselves. How many real playoff contenders, Shahan, do we think there are in the SEC this season? I think we're at four. And my four would be Georgia, LSU, Alabama, and Tennessee. Now, obviously, Georgia is a no-brainer. They've won the last two national championships, and I think people expect them to be in very serious contention for another national championship. But I think you have to look at the rest of this board. Uh, First of all, I think it's not that difficult for a second SEC team to get in, even if Georgia does take one of those spots. The big question I think is going to be which of these other three teams steps up and emerges as a surefire second contender. Because two years ago, it was Alabama, and Alabama actually won the SEC to to end up with a higher seed in the college football playoff. Last year, uh, you had LSU come in and shock Alabama, obviously, and earn a trip to the SEC title game and have a chance to be in the college football playoff. Tennessee, if they didn't play both Alabama and Georgia, probably would have had a very good chance of being in the college football playoff. So I think that these are the four. I can't quite get to five. I can't quite get to Texas A&M or Ole Miss or Mississippi State or, you know, any of these other schools that we might be thinking about. I think Florida is still a ways away. But I think that these four I feel pretty good about. So I want to have a quarterback conversation about this league like we did about the Big 12. We'll hold off on that for now. And I don't think we can exactly come on an SEC playoff show and not talk about Georgia and Alabama. But they're so obvious, I kind of don't want to talk about Georgia and Alabama. And I think the way that we have talked about LSU with Jaden Daniels and Harold Perkins and everything they have back there, I I think they're a no-brainer as a real playoff possibility. So I think this conversation is really about Tennessee and Texas A&M because I stopped at three. Okay. So let's talk about, let's talk about Tennessee first. I think Georgia, Alabama and LSU, and I really don't think there is another one. I really don't because here's the question about Tennessee. Tennessee last year had five players taken in, well, in April off last season had five players taken in the top 80 picks of the NFL draft that was happened for the first time for Tennessee since 2002 they had Darnell Wright their tackle go to your Chicago Bears number 10 overall pick and then the heart of their passing game Hendon Hooker at quarterback number 68 and then Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman their two best receivers went back to back at 73 and 74 in the third round so they're not flying off the board in the first round but my question is was last year's Tennessee passing attack that propelled them to being a playoff contender, that let them beat Alabama, that put them in contention all year. Was it, I'm not going to call it a one-off, but was it more about the players? Was it about the development of a very veteran quarterback in Hendon Hooker and two really good receivers in Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman? Or was it something that is more replicable, that it was the Josh Heupel offense, and that's going to work sort of no matter who you move in and out? By the way, they lost Alex Golish, their offensive coordinator, who took a head coaching job. 
Now, I'm not saying one-off because we all love Nico. Nico Iamalieva is a true freshman this year. We don't think he's going to be Tennessee's starting quarterback. They're recruiting. They just got a top 150 national player as a receiver recruit, recruit who locked in like uh, two days ago. Is it Raylan Stewart? Is that right? Number 120 player in the country, the class of 2024. So anyway, I think they'll get it back. I just don't know that they're going to have it this year. And with Joe Milton at quarterback, with Brew McCoy as their top guy at receiver, here's the, the, the two things real quick. When they beat Alabama, Jalen Hyatt had six catches for 207 yards and five touchdowns. Cedric Tillman was hurt for that game because Cedric Tillman was there early, then he got hurt, then he came back late. Their other receivers in that game had 15 catches for 178 and no touchdowns. So Jalen Hyatt by himself had all the touchdowns and more receiving yards than the rest of the offense combined. Then when they played Georgia and lost to Georgia, Tillman was back. Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt, 13 catches for 131 in that game. Everybody else on the team, 10 catches for 64 yards. So in their big win and then their big showdown where they didn't get it done, but listen, it's Georgia, it's really Hyatt, and then it was really Hyatt and Tillman. And the whole time it's Hendon Hooker. Now, Joe Milton played well when Hooker was hurt late in the year. We get that. Played well in the bowl game. I don't think this is their year. And Tennessee has not been a back-to-back top 10 team at the end of the year since 1998-99, when they won the national title in 98 and then finished in the top 10 in 99. Finishing the top 10 last year was the first time they did it since 2001. I don't know that we are entering the Phil Fulmer era of Tennessee football. We might in a little bit, but I don't think it's just rolling so i don't i'm not thinking of tennessee this way even though they have some guys back ramel caton squirrel white i know you like squirrel right brew mccoy's back they have dante thornton as a transfer from oregon i just think they're going to take a little dip and then it's going to be nico time but not now so i'm not putting tennessee there that's my case for tennessee not being a playoff contender and then do you want to make a Texas A&M case? Connor no, Wegman, no, no, young no, talent. No, I mean, I, do, no, no. if you did want to, let's say that you did want to. Let's say you woke up and said, you know who I want to talk about and feel good about today? Texas A&M. What, what would it be? What would you try to make yourself say? Um, I would say that we're giving Jimbo Fisher less responsibility. And that's probably a nice thing when it comes to having a good football team in 2023. So that's cool. Uh, I mean, I do think Connor Wagman's pretty good. They continue to get wide receiver commits, even though I don't know why. I don't, I don't know if the people just don't watch this team. Um, this is, I think that the funny thing about this year is that if things are working, let, let's just say that things are working. I think that this is probably like, they're running the Texas a year behind, right? Texas went five and seven last year. They went eight and five this year and were pretty competitive. And now this year we think, okay, maybe playoff contender. I think Texas A&M, if this works out, is more that trajectory. They're more going to have the eight win season this year. And then maybe the next year when they bring people back, when Connor Wegman's back, when their receivers are back, then maybe we can have this conversation. There are some pieces on defense I'm excited about. I mean, we still haven't really gotten to see Walter Nolan cook and he's, he was rated higher than Miles Garrett as a defensive end coming out of high school. So like 
cool. I, I, I'm excited to see him. I don't think you can make the whole plane out of cool defensive linemen. I don't think that's how football <laughs> works. Uh, they're going to try. I get it. I don't hate it. Um, you know, back to Tennessee for one second. You know, look, in the bowl game, they play Clemson, a very good Clemson team who played basically the vast majority of what's going to be their 2023 roster. And in that game, I, I, I'll i say I'm not the biggest Joe Milton believer. I kind of think that he has to be schemed up. He's not somebody who I trust to make reads and throw accurate passes. But <laughs> other than making reads and throwing accurate passes. We're talking about going against one of the better defenses in college football. You know, Squirrel White, nine catches, 108 yards. Ramel Keaton, four catches, 76 yards. Brew McCoy, four catches, 48 yards. All had touchdowns. So I, I do think that this is an offense that kind of just picks a guy to scheme open. And it's been Jalen Hyatt, for example, in that Alabama game. I think that maybe this year it'll be more Brew McCoy, for example. It might be more Squirrel White. So I do think that the offense sets them a baseline because for example, like I think that if we're actually getting down to brass tacks and deciding what's going to happen, I think they probably lose to both Alabama and Georgia. I think they probably do, but how many losses are on the rest of their schedule? I I don't think it's many. I think they absolutely could win all the rest of them with the high, the high floor that I think their offense sets for them. And I've said it before too. I think by the end of the year, maybe Nico's the starting quarterback. I really need to to like practice his name because I still don't feel confident in it. And I'm the guy who's supposed to be able to pronounce names. Oh. But yeah, no, no. I've I feel like I've locked in on Nia Malieva. I, f- okay. I feel pretty good about I, it. I need to practice. I need to practice. But you know, I think that he might be starting by the end of the year. Maybe by that Georgia game, he's starting. I don't think that this offense can do a damn thing against Georgia. I don't think that that's a short-term thing. I think that's a long-term thing, that what this offense is built to do and the way that it's structured can be shut down to hell by a defensive line that just smacks you up front. Like, I think that's a, a huge existential issue when you have defensive backs that can one uh, that can man up with you. But, like, lots of teams are going to lose to Georgia. You know, lots of teams are going to lose to Georgia. So that's not like a huge existential thing. Uh, I can't remember if in 2024 they have them, but they're going to get off of playing Georgia every single year. So they're not going to have to play Alabama and Georgia the same sort of way that they have before. So I'm excited about their future. I, I think that they could easily only be pretty good and win 10 games with their schedule. And then it's, oh, well, can you upset one of Alabama or Georgia? And that would earn you a trip to the college football playoff. I think I said Braylon Stewart. It's Braylon Staley, who's the receiver recruit. They guess just got number twenty over one twenty overall player in the class of twenty twenty four. I think it's coming. I just don't think it's here right now. And I do think I think, and I've done this a lot in my career. Trying, like you always say, the bowl season is the end of one season. It's also the start of the next season, and it's gotten more difficult because there's so many opt outs and teams aren't really themselves in bowl season the way they used to be a decade ago. I think it's possible that Tennessee win over Clemson will be the most overrated bowl result of last <laughs> year. And there will be people, and I'm not, you know, just like, hey, hey, because that was Tennessee, you know, it was Clemson with Cade Klubnick, like trying to trying to finish strong, right? I mean, Clemson was on the edge of the playoff discussion until the last week of the regular season. So I just, I'm, I'm just waiting for more like a, yeah, you know, they're not as good as Bama and Georgia. And then also, by the way, it's Joe Milton and it's not Hendon Hooker and maybe they lose a couple games they shouldn't. Yeah. And they have a nice solid eight and four season. And then Nico gets them in the playoff in two years. I, I mean, again, though, I like 
where are the four coming from? I can see where two are coming from. I just think that Tennessee heading into this season might have set itself apart from the rest of the conference. Because you look at their road games specifically. They're at Florida early in the season. I kind of think Florida's a mess. I'm really concerned about Florida. At Kentucky, I think Kentucky's going to be pretty good, but I think Tennessee should be better. At Missouri, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty clear about my Missouri opinions and they're not positive. And that's their entire road. And then at Bama, of course. But that's their entire road slates. That's the kind of thing you do with good teams, right? It's yeah. like, well, who's going to beat them? And, I, and when you have like a, a good, but maybe not quite consistent, not reliable, not sure thing team, you just lose because you lose. You just lose games where you're favored because you're just, you aren't flawless yet. So that's just where I am. Like, I don't, I'm not going to pick it out, but if I had to put, a number on Tennessee regular season wins, I'd probably say eight, just because I think Joe Milton and you lose a Blitnikoff winner and you lose a top 10 offensive tackle. And I don't know. I don't know that they're going to replace those guys. You make a good point about picking a guy to scheme open. Jalen Hyatt in his first 17 games, his first two years in college had zero hundred yard receiving right. seasons. And he had five last year. So it's like, okay, well, I don't know. Jalen Hyatt wasn't Jalen Hyatt until last year. And Brew McCoy has Brew McCoy has been around forever. Their two, their top two receivers this year, are both going to be fifth year guys. So it's guys who have been around and kind of been waiting for their turn. So maybe maybe there is something there. I just think – I thought Hooker was maybe going to go in the first round. I just thought what Hendon Hooker did last year, and I know he that was That dude's old. my age, man. I, he's not going in the first round. <laughs> I just thought like – I just thought there was – a lot of that was him. And so – I just think this is a transitional year. And Joe Milton, I think, can keep them from falling off a cliff, which is if you're trying to build something, you can't fall off a cliff. But I just, I'm not going to go from Hendon Hooker and the way he played last year to Joe Milton and be like, no, I think they're a double digit win team. That's that's probably enough on Tennessee. It's probably enough on Texas A&M. You're going to stay with four playoff contenders. I'll stay with three. So let's talk about a spoiler. Who could be the team that wins a game? that spoils somebody else's playoff chances. And I'll tell you, I zeroed in on two teams here because there are two teams that play all three of Georgia, Alabama, and LSU. And it is Ole Miss and it is Auburn. So of those two, the spoiler team I picked was Ole Miss because Spencer Sanders is a million years old. And Spencer Sanders has made, I wrote it, I did my whole quarterback thing. Again, the, the, I thought the quarterback stuff in the Big 12 was nuts. The quarterback stuff in the SEC is just as nuts. Spencer Sanders has 42 career starts. And when a guy who's that veteran, who was viewed as maybe the best quarterback in the Big 12 when he was at Oklahoma State before he's transferred for this final year, can that guy on one Saturday beat Georgia or Alabama or LSU? think it's possible so what do you think of old miss as a spoiler and who do you have as yours i think old miss is a decent spoiler the thing that you have to like about old miss is obviously that they are a little bit of a chaos thing when teams are rolling i think spencer sanders I, i'm gonna take some issue with him being labeled the best quarterback in the big 12 last year but you know he's somebody who's been around and he's somebody who can go out and win a game or two right it's it's the 12 to 14 game consistency that we don't always see from him but any given saturday i mean he can go out and do something special and it's at alabama early in the year september 23rd the very next week they play lsu at home uh and then they get at georgia in november so i think it definitely 
is a situation where they're set up pretty well. I'm I'm a little lower in general on Ole Miss in terms of their upside. I, they have maybe the best running back in the entire country and Quinshawn Judkins. He is incredibly good. And if they can fix that quarterback situation just a little bit, then it does raise their ceiling just a little bit. So the fact that they play all three, I think, is is definitely a huge plus. And again, they, they have a lot of pieces that are very, for one game, could something happen? And I think with their transfer class coming in, at least for one game, it could happen. They get Bama and LSU back-to-back in September. It's at Alabama on September 23rd. That September 23rd weekend is going to be big. LSU on September 30th at Georgia on November 11th. Those are Ole Miss's three opportunities at the three best teams. And then Auburn gets Georgia at home on September 30th at LSU on October 14th, home against Bama, of course, in the last game of the regular season. That Georgia game for Auburn at home was a little bit interesting to me, too. But when I looked at this, if you think Peyton Thorne, the Michigan State transfer, who has 24 career starts, is the leader to be the starter at Auburn, I'll take Spencer Sanders, and we'll get into some transfer quarterbacks in the SEC otherwise. That's why I leaned Ole Miss. Who did you put down as your spoiler, though? I think it's funny because... I watched Spencer Sanders for four years and you watched Peyton Thorne for two years. And I think that both of us came away with it with that guy's not all that great, <laughs> but now we're going to get to watch them of course, play in the same conference as each other. Look, I, I think that Peyton Thorne is a flawed player for sure. Uh, I don't think he's an outstandingly consistent player. And I think the one thing you have to give Spencer Sanders over Peyton Thorne is because of his running ability you just have a more diversified attack, right? So if things aren't working, I think that Spencer Sanders is probably better prepared to deal with that. The flip side of that is that I think that things will be working more at Auburn. So Auburn is my team. I think that you have to look at a couple things. First of all, just in general, I mean, Auburn's a chaos team. That's just what they do. And then they got one of the most chaotic humans in college football to come coach them in Hugh Freeze. And nobody understands the value of winning one of these games more than Hugh Freeze. He made his career quite literally by beating Alabama in consecutive seasons. And now, despite everything that's happened, he's obviously an SEC head coach again. The other thing you have to like, they get two of those games at home versus Georgia September 30th uh, versus Alabama on November 25th in the Iron Bowl. At LSU, October 14th. But the good thing about that is that they have a bye right before that game as well. So, again, it's it's a one-time thing. And actually, even that Alabama game the week before that, they get New Mexico State. So, they're going to have time to prepare for these games. They're going to have opportunity. I think that, look, the, like, the Brian Harson situation at Auburn was so weird for so many reasons. Just not a fit, uh, was kind of being sabotaged in a lot of ways by people who weren't fans of his program. Like, you know, obviously I think some of the administration didn't back him the way that they truly needed to. But now they've got a coach coming in who, uh, you know, I'd almost make the c- comparison in some ways to like whenever Steve Sarkeesian came in at Texas. And the administration was like, this is our guy and we're living or dying with this guy. And they're going to figure it out one way or another because he's going to be that guy. And you see they bring in a top four transfer class this this upcoming year, including, like you mentioned, Peyton Thorne, who is flawed, but 
oh my God, look at who started for quarterback at Auburn the last two years. It's been one of the worst quarterback situations, I I would argue, in, in the Power Five over the last two years. Well, now they've got their guy. He's going to be the guy. Um, they've got, I think, a pretty good receiver transfer class. They have some really exciting guys. Uh, didn't Caleb Burton end up at uh, at Auburn? Do I have that right? He did. The Ohio State receiver transfer, yep. So I love Caleb Burton. I remember him as a high school recruit, just a super talented player. And he's not the only one. They've got some other really good transfers coming in as well. Uh, the roster is more talented than how they've performed for the past two seasons. No question about it. The vibes are good at Auburn. I think that that is a legitimate thing, right? That uh, that people are kind of on the same page. And like, you give me a one game thing with Peyton Thorne and Hugh Freeze and Caleb Burton and some of the talented players that they have. Like, I don't know, man. They they can take one any given week. I don't think it's going to be consistent next year for Auburn, but I think that the highs might be really high. Peyton Thorne, I think everyone expects to win that job, as you said. Robbie Ashford coming back at. Auburn will still be in that mix in August to try to win that battle. But I do want to talk more about all the weird quarterback situations in the SEC. We'll do that next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan. So we have uh, 14 teams, I believe, in the SEC. Is that correct? I'm pretty good at remembering how many 16 next year, but 14 right now. Conferences. Let's guess. I like making you guess. Of the <laughs> right, projected of the projected starting quarterbacks in the SEC, the 14. How many of them started their careers at their current school? <laughs> See, I thought you were going to say which are like returning, which is already not a huge number, but started their careers yeah. like that takes out Jaden Daniels. That take you know, that takes out a lot of players who have been at their spots for a while. Okay, uh, so that takes out Joe Milton, for example. So yep. just off the top of my head, K.J. Jefferson from Arkansas, of course. Uh, Carson Beck from Georgia. So, I I mean, it's not a ton. Uh, well, Connor Wegg, I'm going to guess five. Five started their careers. Six. 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 Okay. okay. You did a good job with that. It takes out Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, who started at Oklahoma. So the three veteran guys who have been at their school multiple years but did not start at their school, Jaden Daniels at LSU, started his career at Arizona State. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina started his career at Oklahoma. And Joe Milton at Tennessee started his career at Michigan. They also have, there are five expected starting quarterbacks in the SEC who started the openers for their teams last year. And there are five expected starting quarterbacks in the SEC who started the openers for somebody else last year. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so the five expected starting quarterbacks in the SEC who were someone's opening day starting quarterback last year. Spencer Sanders at Old Miss was a quarterback at Oklahoma State. Graham Mertz at Florida was the starting quarterback at Wisconsin. Devin Leary at Kentucky was the starting quarterback at North Carolina State. Peyton Thorne at Auburn was the starting quarterback at Michigan State. And then Tyler Buckner was the opening day starter. He got hurt in week two at Notre Dame. This is what I was curious about. I was curious if you counted Buckner as the expected starter. I did in pencil, in light, in erasable ink. Just as like, well, I don't know. So I did count, I did count Buckner there. So that's five. And so now let's play the game of career overall starts. There are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight expecting starting quarterbacks in the SEC who have at least 20 career starts, like two seasons of starting. That's pretty good. 
Georgia is last with zero. Carson Beck hasn't started. And then Bama is second to last, either with Tyler Buckner with three, Jalen Milrow with one, or Ty Simpson with zero. So that's what we're talking about. We've t- Everybody in the country is talking about this. We talk about it as much as anybody. We've been talking about it since February. The best teams are very uncertain at quarterback. But even within like that, Connor Wegman only has four starts at Texas A&M. And we just said, I don't know, we think Texas A&M might be decent. Joe Milton only has nine starts, even though I think he's in year six. He only has nine starts. Let's run through the veteran quarterbacks in the the SEC. Jaden Daniels at LSU, 43 starts. That's third most in college football behind Bo Nix and Sam Hartman of expected starting quarterbacks this year. Bo Nix at Oregon, who, by the way, started most of his games in the SEC at Auburn, and Sam Hartman at Notre Dame. Jaden Daniels, 43. Spencer Sanders at Ole Miss, 42. Graham Mertz at Florida, 33. Will Rogers, who actually has been at his school at Mississippi State, 32 career starts. Spencer Rattler at South Carolina, 30 career starts. Devin Leary at Kentucky, 26. K.J. Jefferson, who's been at his school, 26 career starts at Arkansas. Peyton Thorne at Mississippi, at at Auburn, 24, all of them at Michigan State. Brady Cook at Missouri, 14 career starts. And then we get to the single digits. So there's guys who have played. They are not, at the best schools other than Jaden Daniels at LSU, which is why we spent a lot of time talking about LSU. But once I, this is, I guess is the new world. I thought it was kind of unusual in the big 12. Cause we had a little bit of that there as well, where, Hey, they're veteran guys, but they're new, but they've played. This is what the, the portal is. It's like, Hey, Kentucky, Kentucky's like, Hey, we lost Will Levis to the second round of the draft. What are we going to do? And Devin Leary's like, I don't know. Can I come? And it's like, yeah, now come on over. And you just solve it. Peyton Thorne's like, ah, Peyton Thorne leads Michigan State to a New Year's Six Bowl two years ago. Auburn's like, oh, I don't know. And he's like, I got it. So this is the new world. But Shahan, particularly in this SEC discussion, when the least experienced quarterback situations in the league are at the by far two best programs, I threw a lot of names. I threw a lot of numbers at you. Is there a quarterback situation in the SEC that you are particularly concerned with? And the thing about this is, is like, Hey, Carson Beck will be fine. He's the least experienced guy, but he's been waiting his turn. He's been a backup. He's good to go. I don't know. Maybe it is, George. Maybe it isn't. What are you concerned with? And is there a quarterback situation that you really like that Will Rogers at Mississippi State or K.J. Jefferson or Graham Mertz coming into Florida? What, what do you make one. of these names Not and numbers? One. Not that one. I just tried. <laughs> I'm trying. I, I haven't, I've said on this podcast, I've said on every podcast, what if Graham Mertz is good? <laughs> <laughs> what if Graham Mertz is good? Yeah, uh, Jack Cohn ain't walking through that door. Um, <laughs> I think. I think for me, the one that I'm most concerned about is obvious, and I think it's shaped a lot of my offseason picks and coverage and playoff picks, all this sort of stuff. What the hell is going on at Bama, man? Like, like the fact that they brought in an offensive coordinator and said, "Here are two quarterbacks." They're both really highly rated. One of them has started a game for us before and played significant snaps. Another was a five-star player. And they had to bring in another quarterback via the transfer portal post-spring. That is so weird. That is so bizarre. Because if they didn't bring him in, 
you know, maybe they'd still be in the same or worse situation, but like, at least you'd be in a situation where you feel like, okay, they feel like they have that guy on, on the roster. The fact that that didn't happen tells me that they are very displeased with what they saw. And that is a strange situation for Alabama to be. You know, you, you mentioned Tyler Buckner's your expected starter. Obviously, he worked with, with Tommy Reese before. I think that Jalen Milrose still has a really good chance to win this job, and they yeah, can build a good offense around him. I, I, I assume that Tommy Reese would be able to do that, right? I, I thought that he was a versatile enough play caller and offensive schemer to build something that makes sense for Jalen Milrow. I mean, the, the fact that, like, that Jalen Hurts in the NFL just led a team to the Super Bowl should be a great indicator that you can build something decent mm-hmm. around Jalen Milrow. But it's the combination, not just of quarterback situation, but also the way that the roster is, also the way that the play caller is, also the way that the offense seems to be uh, heading right now. It's This is not the kind of question that I'm used to having at Alabama. And by the way, you're not just replacing some dude there. You're replacing Bryce Young, arguably the best player in college football over the past two seasons. I think Jalen Milrow has a shot too. It's just, just imagine, we just named all these transfer quarterbacks. What if Spencer Sanders or Devin Leary, especially, I won't make you do Graham Mertz, but what if Spencer Sanders or Devin Leary had transferred to Alabama? Would we be, Devin Leary is like, we'd be like, oh, he's Devin Leary. And he's a Kentucky. And he probably would be the, the way things went in the spring. And I think in the end, right, it's, the spring quarterback battle at Alabama did not go as well as Alabama hoped or anticipated, which is why they wound up in the portal. If they knew what they would have seen from Ty Simpson and Jalen Milrow in April, then maybe Devin Leary would have been there. But if Devin Leary, who's going to be Kentucky's starting quarterback, who when we did this a year ago in the ACC, we were talking about all the quarterbacks in the ACC, and Devin Leary was near the top of that list as we talked about NC State as a dark horse contender. If he was in Tuscaloosa, it'd be like, oh, they're fine. Yeah, I I think that Devin Leary would be a really good quarterback at Alabama. I mean, even I think you can look across the conference right now. What if Max Johnson, who started some games at Texas A&M last year, was in Alabama, right? Like, I think the thing that obviously you're trading off is these guys clearly have more upside than some of the guys that we're naming. But like the downside is so much lower. If you just had somebody like Max Johnson, if you just had somebody like... Uh, gosh, I mean, one one of the other Ole Miss players, for example, right? Uh, Spencer Sanders or anybody else. Like, there are so many programs right now that have more stable quarterback situations. And don't get me wrong. Somebody's going to start for Alabama. By the end of the year, they're probably going to be pretty good. Like, they're probably going to be fine. But heading into the year, I mean, what, where are you ranking Alabama's quarterback situation? Like, in turn, I mean, are you, I feel like you have to put it like, 11th or 12th right now i mean we're talking like obviously they're in a better position than vanderbilt but like not much else it's it's a really tough situation for them and we're not used to seeing them in this kind of situation and like you said it doesn't mean they're going to get terrible quarterback play every week it doesn't mean they're not going to be good by the end of the year but when you think about where just the inexperience. And again, Milrow and Simpson were highly rated guys. Ty Simpson was a super highly rated guy. But with a young quarterback, and if you didn't feel like you saw it in the spring, it just opens up the possibility of, of somebody threw three picks against Texas and Alabama lost. Or the starting quarterback was one of 11 on third down and missed five open throws, and they lost to 
somebody you wouldn't expect them to lose to. To Mississippi State, while Will Rogers threw for 400 yards, like that kind of thing. And if you do that once, you possibly knock yourself out of the playoff race because then you also have LSU's good. If you get to an SEC title game, George is going to be good. You're just going to have other things where you might play well and lose. And if you throw in the the quarterback lost us a game, that could be it. That could be it. So that's the situation that we're talking about with Alabama. And it is just if one of those guys hits, right? And, I, and if you're not huge on Spencer Sanders, if you're not huge on Graham Mertz, if you're not huge on Peyton Thorne, like there's a chance, like somebody, what if Spencer Rattler in year two at South Carolina is like, oh, that's the guy who was the Heisman favorite. There's just enough interesting guys in here where it feels like, you know, I picked Arkansas as one of my dark horses when we did our dark horse podcast a couple episodes ago. And a lot of it was based on KJ Jefferson. There's just find of these 10 guys in the SEC, these eight, nine, 10 quarterbacks who have been around find a guy who makes a leap. And in a world where we're not talking about guys like that at Bama or Georgia necessarily, you can change the complexion of this conference very quickly. And so again, it's sort of, sort of zero in on the guy that you think it might be. I, I, there's a category where I think I want to discuss one of these other situations. So let's go to the most important games of this season. And there's a, let me make a point off the top, and I'll be curious. We, we have three games each, if you had these in here. When we did this in the Big 12, we had Texas at Bama in week two as like the most important game in the Big 12. You have an Alabama-Texas game, and you have an LSU-Florida State game the opening weekend that right away, off the jump, you have two of your three best teams playing major national playoff contenders. But I didn't have either of those games in my top three because I think it's the SEC. There's enough respect there. There's enough depth there. I don't think LSU or Alabama, I don't think they have to win those non-conference games in the same way that it feels like Texas has to beat Alabama if Texas is going to make the playoff and if the Big 12 is going to have a really good playoff chance. How did you view some of these non-conference games for these SEC teams? So I did include LSU versus Florida State in mine because I think that both of these teams want to be college football playoff contenders this year. You mentioned it. They can win the conference. This doesn't impact their ability to win the conference. But if they lose that game to Florida State, like like they did last season, then it means that they have to be perfect from there on out. And that is a really, really hard thing to do for anybody, obviously playing against an SEC schedule, perhaps even more difficult, right? You you can't slip up against Auburn. You can't slip up. You have to go on the road and beat Alabama. That That's like an expectation. And, and you might have to do that anyway to make the playoff, but it just means that you have to be perfect. And I think that the other thing about this game, too, is that from this game, I think we'll have one playoff contender emerge. Either Florida State or LSU will emerge as our surefire playoff team, right? I, I, or not not to make the playoff, but like to be a contender. And so to be able to go play on the road, I think it's like a neutral site in Tallahassee, isn't it? it or or is, it at, uh, is it at Dope Campbell? I can't remember. But anyway, like that sends a message that LSU is a college football playoff contender if they win the game. And if they lose that game, it'll be... Can they play spoiler? Can they be a dark horse and get in? Can they back their way in? Because the other part about this too, 
just working under assumptions and, and assumptions can be wrong. You would be in a situation where you lose to Florida State and like, if you make the SEC title game, it's, it's early, but I don't think they can beat Georgia necessarily. And if they lose to Georgia in the SEC title game, that is two losses right there and it's over. So if LSU wants to be a college football playoff team, I think that they have to find a way to beat Florida State. Orlando. That game's in Orlando. There we go. There we go. So you have uh, LSU, Florida State there. I had my number one game as LSU at Alabama on November 4th. I feel like the winner of that game. That's my number two. That's my number two. Is going to win the West. And I think we will reach that game with both of them in position to win the West still. Even again, even if they both, even if they both lose their non-conference games, I think they might both only have one loss when we get to that point. And I just think what that game has been, uh, I'll be curious, like, is this sustainable? Are we possibly, I'm not saying that we are, are we possibly entering a world where when you think about the SEC, LSU is not that far behind Alabama when you think about them with the state of the programs right this very second with what Brian Kelly's trying to build there. I think at least we're there now where you have a starting quarterback with 43 career starts and a starting quarterback with three, one or zero career starts. So I think LSU and Alabama are right there. So I have those two. Then I cheated on my second one. and I just said the SEC title game, which I know is cheating, but I think you could, the SEC title game honestly might be the most important non-playoff game every single year in college football right now because you're determining the winner of that game is in and the loser might be in. And so I know that's cheating, but I wanted to discuss that because I do think there's a world where two loss Bama, two loss LSU, where they lost that non-conference game and they lost one other game in conference along the way, but they win the division, they get there and they beat Georgia. I think they're in. They're, you're a two-loss SEC champ that just beat Georgia. I think you're in. So I don't quite think they have to be perfect. And I know it's cheating, but it's a big game. No, it, it is a big game. And the other thing about it too, right? Because there are other games that are sort of playing games, but it will be competitive. It is a guaranteed lock to be competitive uh, because of the of Georgia coming from one side of the division right now and what the West has been and somebody having to emerge from it as well. So I, I think that it's a, a good pick, like you said, a cheating pick. I, I'll allow it, though. I, I think it does count. And another thing, though, to, to be excited about is that starting in 2024, we are going to be in a situation where tons of these title games are this sort of thing because more conferences yeah. are going to go to 1v2, right? The Big Ten's title games have been a joke for since they moved to these divisions, right? Like, it's been a joke. Well, now, you know, you're, maybe you get uh, the rematch, maybe you get Penn State, Ohio State, maybe you get Michigan, you know, like, it's going to be a much better game. The ACC is moving to that this year. We might get Clemson, Florida State in the in the ACC title game. So, but this is like the last year that we are just saying, like, the SEC title game is on another level, and whoever wins that game is going to the playoff. It's a stone-cold lock. So, I like that pick. Who else, what other games do you have in your top three? So like we've talked about, I have Tennessee still in my four playoff contenders group. So that Georgia at Tennessee game late in the year will be pretty interesting for me. Again, I'm, I'm concerned. I'm concerned that Tennessee plays a style of football that Georgia can just eliminate. And maybe it's the case. Maybe it's not. I think this will be a really important game to tell me whether or not that's the case. 
Obviously, uh, if you are Tennessee, I think you probably wish that you got Georgia a little earlier in the year so that you'd have an opportunity to maybe play against an inexperienced quarterback in his first big game, which, by the way, this is still kind of Carson Beck's first real game because Georgia's schedule gives him a lot of opportunity to ramp up. So Nealon's going to be popping that night. It's going to be a fantastic game. Uh, again, I'm a little concerned about whether Tennessee's going to be able to move the ball, but like, I, it's probably also not fair to just eliminate that possibility because of what happened last year, right? Because Georgia, we've talked about, might not be exactly what they are defensively over the past two years this upcoming season. So it'll be a good game. I, th- I think that obviously this is a game that will decide the SEC East crown. It's the last conference game that Georgia plays before they play Georgia Tech and then go to the SEC title game. So that's the only place along the way that I truly think that Georgia could potentially slip up. I also had that game for the same reason. And we've talked about Georgia. Everyone knows Georgia's schedule is so easy. A game that I thought about, and then it's like, why would I do that? Georgia played South Carolina in week three last year, and I can remember thinking going into that game, hey, maybe, I don't know, you get them early, like this whole kind of thing, Spencer Rattler, and they blew the doors off South Carolina. They beat <laughs> South Carolina 48-7, to and Spencer yeah. Rattler threw for 118 yards and two picks. South Carolina gets Georgia in week three again this year, and it's like, hey, 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 Spencer Rattler, get Georgia early, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what? How would you, why would you go there? So, like, good luck, Shane Beamer. But like you, they didn't. They didn't. They competed like a FCS team against Georgia last year. So yes, maybe they learned from that. But when you're trying to find a Georgia game on for a list like this, it's got to be the Tennessee game. Any other games that you had in there? Then uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my next one for an off the radar game. All right. So off the radar, we're looking for an off the radar game that isn't quite to this level, but that could matter. Go ahead. What do you have? So I'm going to take it back to Auburn. That game on September 30th, Georgia at Auburn, is just one that could get a little spicy, right? Because I don't think that you can beat Georgia with like pretty good line play and scheming guys open. I don't think that works because Georgia's defensive backs are so good that they can man you up and take it away. And by the way, a significant amount of my perspective of Tennessee does come from the fact that obviously I covered Art Bryles Baylor in the mid 2010s and I saw what they struggled with, and what teams were able to do in limited ways to be able to take that stuff away. And I don't think that Tennessee at this point has created that counterpunch. That could change. So I'll I'll be keeping an eye on it. But Auburn, I think, just has a couple more individual talents who can win one-on-one matchups. And I think that they've got a more diversified offensive style I guess you could say right you you don't know necessarily what to expect the same way from Auburn the same way that you do from Tennessee and I think that that can be tricky to play against early obviously we've seen that Hugh Freeze has really really addressed the offensive line position in the transfer portal I think that between transfers and high schoolers they brought in nine new offensive linemen to their roster this upcoming season, which is quite an indictment of how he felt things were going under Brian Harson. But I think that they're just a chaos team, right? They're just a chaos team. They get them early, which I think is like you have to get Georgia early. You can't wait for Carson Beck to figure things out because when Carson Beck figures things out, it's going to be pretty scary. Uh, 
you know, Georgia opens UT Martin, Ball State, South Carolina in week three, but that's at home versus UAB. Uh, shout out to Trent Dilfer, that uh, an FBS head football coach. Oh, boy. Uh, but then they go to Auburn, and that's their first road game. Carson Beck's first over road start. We're obviously assuming it's Carson Beck. It could be Brock Vandergriff, but I think we're, we're kind of assuming Carson Beck. So first road start for him, first big game, first tough environment. It's going to be a unique opportunity for Auburn. And again, I just keep coming back to it. Hugh Freeze knows the impact of winning big games as much or more than maybe any coach in college football. Because by the way, the dude finished like 500 in conference at Ole Miss. Like he was not this like master. Yeah, he finished 19 and 21 in SEC play across five years at Ole Miss. But he beat Alabama twice. We all saw it. He beat Alabama twice. It was awesome. And that's enough. That's enough for him to build his reputation. And if he's able to beat Georgia, I think it'll mean as much or maybe even slightly more than beating those Alabama teams. I like that pick. I have another get him early game for my off the radar game. And it's LSU at Mississippi State on September 16th in, in week three. This will be Mississippi State's first SEC game since the death of the late great Mike Leach. Mississippi State did win its bowl game against Illinois last year after Mike Leach died on December 12th. It was kind of a weird game. They, it was 19 to 10. They scored 16 points in the fourth quarter to win. They have two games before this, including a, both home games. This will be their third home game of this season, Mississippi State. They play Arizona. That's a real team. But this is the S- the first SEC game. And Will Rogers, with all his experience, he'll, he forever will be Mike Leach's last quarterback. And LSU will have played Florida State in the opener. They have a, a lesser game in week two. And then they're coming in. Mississippi State's first two games are on the SEC network. This is a noon kick at Mississippi State on ESPN. And I think there is going to be, not that there won't be in the opener, not that there won't be in every home game. Some a lot of emotion around Mike Leach and his death. But I think that this is going to be the week where ESPN comes in and they're going to blow that out. Everybody's going to be it's going to be a sort of a, a a re-remembrance I think on a national scale of Mike Leach and his influence on college football and his personality and how much he mattered to the sport and then Will Rogers who's been around forever, is going to go out at noon against a team that if LSU beats Florida State is going to be like number three in the country and he's going to go out and try to beat him for Mike Leach. And so emotion matters. Emotion matters. And I can just see maybe some things coalescing here and that Jaden Daniels' veteran nature is a big plus for LSU Mississippi State is one of the SEC teams that can match that. SEC teams that have a veteran quarterback in the same way. And so I think there's going to be a buildup to it at the very least. And then, like, if they deliver, people will talk about it forever. Because I think this will be what is on people's minds. So because there's multiple factors at play here, I can – I think college football is going to be talking about this, especially if LSU is as good as we think. Even if they lose to Florida State. I think they'll look good in losing to Florida State. They will, LSU will still be a playoff contender going into that game. And then Mississippi State's going to try to win one for their old coach. No, it's a good pick. I I think that all the off-field stuff is absolutely correct. And when I look at the, 
I guess, sort of top three contenders. Like, I think that obviously Tennessee's maybe half a step below. LSU's the most flawed, I think, in terms of maybe most flawed isn't fair. I, I think that they are a team that is extremely well coached, extremely disciplined, but they're not necessarily overwhelming right now. I don't think that they're just doing things that nobody can touch, like maybe Georgia's doing right now. And so I do think that there's an opportunity, like you mentioned, in that first road game at Mississippi State. It's going to be a tough environment. It's going to be a, a lot of off-field stuff, like you're mentioning with with the Mike Leach situation. So I, I like this pick, but I, I will say you did gloss over something. Uh, so LSU plays Grambling State in week two. Do you know who the head coach at Grambling State is? Is it your friend and mine, Hugh Jackson? It is Hugh Jackson. So they're going to go beat an NFL staff in week two. I don't know. That is no, uh, that's no guarantee. You only brought that up because Hugh Jackson hates me, right? Is that why you brought <laughs> that up? He, I mean, I mean, it's not a surprise. Oh, yeah. Like how after the tenure that Hugh Jackson had with the Cleveland Browns, like what's the pathway to him liking any media member who's just literally writing down what's happening in front of him? So just to be clear, there are certain things that I do attempt to claim in my career. It's been a spotted record. So when (laughs) I have something, I do want to try to claim it. I asked the question that made Hugh Jackson jump in the lake because they went one in 15 and he said, this isn't going to happen again next year. And I said, what if it does? And he said, I'll jump in the lake. And then they went 0-16. I did not realize that that was you who asked the question. And he had to jump in the lake. So he hates me. And what was once upon a time where he was saying that he was going to write a book. And I was like, I think I'm going to be in a book. Because I was so excited. Because I would just go to Brown's news conferences and be, I accuse, oh, the things that Hugh Jackson and I discussed in, in public <laughs> news conferences that made him – I mean, I'm, sta- I'm standing up for football fans who are watching this guy drive their team off a cliff. So I'm there for the fans. Anyway, I did not mean – I am the last person who wants to gloss over Hugh Jackson. So my apologies. <laughs> well, you know, c- come on down to Baton Rouge, uh, you know, and you can you can go watch a great football game. I can't, I can't wait. Hugh Jackson versus Brian Kelly. It will be a peak, a peak for me. <laughs> That's wild. When we come back – We'll dig in on the playoff next on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan, I'm I'm trying here. We have a category. Who's not a playoff contender now that will be five years from now? And you and I were so excited when Billy Napier got the Florida job, we were like, man, we think LSU maybe should have hired this guy. And then I don't know what to think anymore. Florida does have, at the moment, the second-rated recruiting class in the class of 2024 in the SEC. Can I give Florida as my answer for someone who's not a contender now but will be in five years, or is that ship sailed? No, I don't I don't think the ship has sailed. You know, I... <laughs> I will say the conversation around Billy Napier, I feel like on both sides has gotten a little insane, right? There's people who are like, this dude's a failure. This dude sucks. And obviously I don't think that's true. There are also people who say, there's no reason that you should have to worry. He said it was going to take time. And my response was, he said it was going to take time because they need to recruit and rebuild the roster. And then he pulled together a recruiting class that was worse than any of Dan Mullen's classes. (laughs) So like, and and then, and then by the way, in the transfer portal, Look for a quarterback. You mentioned 
the University of Kentucky is starting, you know, a really good player. And, like, they got Graham Mertz. Like, come on, man. Come on. You can't tell me that it's not concerning at least a little bit. I I am relieved that uh, that Billy Napier had the June that he had from a recruiting perspective. He's kind of righted the ship in a lot of ways. And the fact that recruits are still kind of buying into and believing his long-term vision, I think, makes me feel honestly a lot better about where the program sits right now. The thing that's tough, uh, not just about Florida, but about all of these programs, because I'm going to this is this is the most bizarro pick for me because of what I've said about this man in this program. I think I'm going to go with Auburn because I think that out of the non playoff teams, they are the like the highest ceiling. You know, I, I think that they're the ones who can reach that level. I've also like I've. I've also thrown so much dirt on that program in the past couple of months because Texas and Oklahoma are about to join the SEC. And I think that Oklahoma from day one will be in that top four to five uh, playoff contender group. Doesn't mean they'll make it consistently like they have in the Big 12, but I think they'll be in the group. Texas, I think, is an off chance every so often, right? And somebody's going to have to fall down. And it's probably going to be one of Auburn or Florida, or it could be Texas, or it could be Tennessee. Like somebody is going to be a 500 team at best. And I don't know which team that is as yet. And it's going to get even worse when they move to a nine game schedule. So I'm going to go with Auburn. I think that they will be a playoff contender. I also think that it'll probably end with a couple of seasons of like major flameouts, But the ceiling is just so high. They're doing a great job on the recruiting trail. They're just kind of built to do it right now. Although, I guess the other complication is that they still have to play Alabama and Georgia every single year. Anthony Richardson got into the draft, and everybody in the NFL was like, we've never seen anything like this. And the two years that he played at Florida, they were 6-7 and seven both years, and his coach got yeah. fired, and I know he was injured. And it was like, that's the hard thing. They have DJ Lagway as a pretty big quarterback recruit in the class of 2024. But you look and you're like, you just had Anthony Richardson, who people think might revolutionize the quarterback position, and you had losing records consecutive years with the old coach and the new. And he was hurt. He was hurt. He was hurt. Well, no, no. If it helps, that's definitely not happening. Anthony Richardson is not going to be a great quarterback in the NFL. But it's – yeah. It. It, oh, oh, for real? You're not in on the Anthony Richardson, huh? I, I mean, I, I think that there's a pathway to it, but it involves him – being something that he's never been before and evolving in a way that he's never like it, it would take a Josh Allening. And like, I don't think that we can sit here, which by the way, actually Craig Bull actually had good seasons with Josh Allen at Wyoming. They actually were pretty good, but like, I don't think that anybody looks and is like, that's all you got out of college Josh Allen because like Josh Allen wasn't good yet and yeah. became good later. I think that if Anthony Richardson works out, like, that's how we have to look at it, man. Like, he, he completed, like, 53% of his passes last year. He was not very good. And uh, as a college football player, independent of his status as a draft prospect. But regardless, I think that what you say is is right on, which is I don't think that one really good quarterback commit is going to save this program. And so they've done the thing of stacking talent, and I at least feel better about that. All right, Auburn and Florida are teams, playoff contenders, five years from now. How many teams is the SEC going to get in this year? The last year of the four-team playoff. 
And I will say, I, I do think I have a particular vision. My, my problem is I have talked about Florida State and LSU as I think two of the five best teams in the country, and they're playing in the opener. So I'm trying to like position myself for like, well, could they still both get in? And I don't think it's impossible. So I don't want it to be – I don't want that Florida State LSU opener, which I love. Those are the games that college football should have all across the country in September. Hopefully in the 12-team playoff, we'll have even more of those. We should not be knocking teams out of the playoff race because they played a top-five team in week one and lost. So I like Florida State so much for now, and it is in the state of Florida. For now, I think Florida State's going to win that game, but I don't want to give up on LSU. So I'm going to have a path that is something like – Georgia goes undefeated in the regular season against a lousy schedule and LSU maybe loses early, but shows it's pretty darn good. And I think LSU can beat Georgia. So I'm saying, I think there will be two sec teams in the playoff this year because I think it's quite possible that Georgia is going to be undefeated and then lose the sec title game to somebody and get in anyway. And that's my path. So my pick even though I think the ACC has a good contender, I think the Big Ten has a chance to get into. I think the Pac-12 is going to have a good contender, possibly. You're running out of spaces. I'll still pick two for the SEC, even though that has not been the norm in the four-team playoff. What's your SEC number? My number is one. I think that the fact that Georgia maybe is such a dominant SEC team that's maybe ahead above everybody else makes the case for everybody else just a little bit less, uh, more tenuous, rather. It would take LSU beating Georgia in the SEC title game, and I don't see that as something that they're capable of right now on July 5th. That might change. That I mean, look, LSU was really good last year, and they should be even better this year. And Brian Kelly, I, I've mentioned it before, is one of the more underrated coaches, I think, of the past 10 years in college football. And so they will get, I think, to not just playoff caliber, but national title caliber. But that's what it would take. It would take, I think, LSU beating Georgia in the SEC title game. And that's just not a place I can go. So I'm going to go with one. You mentioned it. The Big Ten, I think, has two contenders that are probably even higher up uh, in the priority list. Maybe even a third, arguably, in Penn State. The ACC with Clemson and Florida State. The Pac-12 has four or five teams that I think could be playoff caliber. I, I just don't see enough spaces, and I don't think that the SEC is going to be high and up enough on the priority list of teams to get two teams in. All right, so if there was a 12-team playoff this year, how many teams do we think would get in? And this, I think, I hope, and we're going to wrap this up, leads us a little bit to what the overall strength of the SEC this year. How good do we think it is? Bama is really tough because I don't. you can't just stare at the new coordinators and the quarterback uncertainty and just 1,000% assume Bama's going to be Bama. But on the other hand, as soon as you don't think Bama's Bama, Nick Saban will kick you right in the face, man. Like he's Nick Saban. So I said three teams in a 12-team playoff. I thought about getting to four, but I can't. And I'm not sure about Bama. Like I feel good that Georgia's going to get through an easy schedule and LSU's going to be good. I'm not sure what I think of Bama, and I'm also not sure of what I think about the fourth, fifth, and sixth best teams in the SEC. I think Old Miss or Auburn or Arkansas or a team like that could be an interesting dark horse, but I also think maybe the SEC this year maybe isn't going to be quite as good as it has been or as people usually think it is. 
No, it's it's a good point. For me, this answer's easy. I think it's three. Georgia's a lock. Even if they lose the SEC title game, they're a lock. Even if they lose a game in the regular season and finish 11-2 and two in a 12-team playoff, they're a lock. So Georgia can write their ticket right from the start. LSU, I think, is very likely. And I think that you take the winner of Alabama versus Tennessee. And I think that's the third team. And that's the list. Maybe you flip things out a little bit if Alabama beats LSU and loses to Tennessee. But I think we're very firmly at three. Okay. So I actually think my number for this year would be like one and a half. It's like it's an over under one and a half. I'm not locked in on two. But I, it, I just like LSU so much, and I don't want to give up on them. And Georgia's Georgia, so that's why I got the two. Okay, that's our SEC preview. We'll hit the ACC. We'll hit the Pac-12. We'll hit the Big Ten. Those are coming up later on the College Football Survivor Show. Go back and listen to our Big 12 show for now. Make sure you're reading cbssports.com for Shahan. For Shahan J. Haraja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 